Sign up to The Economist for in-depth curated expert analysis of world events and topics ranging from business and culture to science and technology. You'll get the weekly digital edition, online-only articles, curated newsletters on politics, the markets, science, culture and China, and full access to The Economist Podcast Plus. The Economist is independent journalism for independent thinking. Go to economist.com and get your first month free. Welcome. You're listening to the Malcontent News Russia-Ukraine War Podcast, the show that cuts through the fog of war and updates you about the ongoing conflict in Ukraine. With your host, Linnea Hubbard. Don't forget to like, comment and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify and Google Podcasts. I'm Linnea Hubbard, and I have a bit of a head cold. Today is Monday, November 21st, 2022. It's been 3,190 days since Russia occupied Crimea on February 27, 2014, and 271 days since the large-scale invasion of Ukraine began. Today's podcast looks at what happened yesterday in the Russia-Ukraine war. The Malcontent News Russia-Ukraine War update is compiled by our team from around the world. Today's report includes information from direct contacts in Ukraine and their proxies, Russian Ministry of Defense reports, the General Staff of the Armed Forces of Ukraine reports, Operational Command South of Ukraine, Open Source Intelligence, our in-house team of analysts and geolocation experts, and pro-Ukrainian and pro-Russian mill bloggers and social media accounts with a track record of trying to be accurate. We have one mission, to report the truth, because the truth matters. For those of you just joining us, I have a head cold, which you can probably hear in my voice. If we took the time to re-record or edit out my cold, this episode wouldn't get published until Thursday. So we're just going to roll with it. And as always, we thank you for your understanding. Let's go ahead and get started with our assessment of the current status of the war. First, We maintain that Russia is conducting stealth mobilization and may be preparing for the second wave of partial mobilization in January 2023. Second, we maintain that Russian forces will continue terror attacks on Ukrainian civilians and civilian infrastructure and conduct these missions in large-scale waves due to improving Ukrainian air defenses. These attacks will not stop until the Ukrainian electrical grid and natural gas network are completely destroyed or Russia's supply of missiles and drones is exhausted. Third, we maintain the slowdown in combat operations on multiple axes is a mirage, with Rasputitsa creating an outlier situation over the weekend. Fourth, we maintain that neither belligerent will institute a winter pause. Fifth, we maintain that President Putin's inner circle is actively targeting Minister of Defense Sergei Shoigu for dismissal and replacement, due to continued military failures in Ukraine. Sixth, we maintain that Russian President Vladimir Putin is facing renewed unrest inside and outside the Kremlin. If there continue to be military failures, there is a remote chance Russia could face a regime change. Seventh, we maintain that the Russian military within Ukraine is combat ineffective and can only mount effective defensive operations. Eighth, We maintain that the private military company Wagner Group is spread too thin due to its expanding role in the Donetsk Oblast and the revelation of crippling battlefield losses. Ninth, we maintain that Ukraine holds the battlefield initiative, forcing Russian troops to remain in a defensive posture. And finally, 
We assess that the threat of Russian forces in Belarus crossing into Ukraine has diminished, but remains a possibility in the next 50 to 80 days. Let's get some regional updates, starting with Kherson and Zaporizhia. The situation in Kherson and Zaporizhia remains unchanged, with both belligerents trading artillery and rocket strikes and Russian forces continuing to build defensive positions far behind the line of conflict. Russian forces continue to shell towns on the west bank of the Dnipro River, with unconfirmed reports of significant shelling in Kherson. The humanitarian situation in Kherson is mixed. Power, water, natural gas, internet, and cellular service are still out in large areas of the recently liberated territory. In contrast, after eight months of occupation, grocery stores are reopening with shelves stocked full with Western and local goods and hundreds waiting in line. Ukrainian officials have announced voluntary evacuations from the liberated territories west of the Dnipro due to the lack of public utilities, concern over providing adequate heat, continued threats of Russian shelling, and vast areas that need to be demined. The General Staff of the Armed Forces of Ukraine, or GSAFU, reported that Russian occupiers are looting the Kohovkarayan and are continuing forced deportations to Crimea. Civilians in Russian-occupied Lyubimivka on the east bank of the Dnipro had their homes broken into under the guise of enforcing martial law and had their valuables and appliances stolen. The situation at the Zaporizhia nuclear power plant deteriorated, with the plant's compound hit by up to a dozen artillery shells from two separate artillery barrages. The International Atomic Energy Agency, or IAEA, reported that shells landed in the cooling pond sprinkler system, an electrical cable to Reactor 2, condensate storage tanks, the bridge between Reactor 5 and its auxiliary building, and a radioactive waste storage building. Rosatom reported they were restricting some access to the Reactor 2 area from the IAEA inspectors on site. IAEA Director General Rafael Grossi reiterated his call for urgent measures to protect the ZNPP and prevent a nuclear accident during the current conflict in Ukraine, saying, quote, Once again, we were fortunate that a potentially serious nuclear incident did not happen. Next time, we may not be so lucky. We must do everything in our power to make sure there is no next time. End quote. The director general said he has been in active consultations with world leaders yesterday on the latest shelling at the ZNPP, and he is insisting that agreeing on and implementing a nuclear safety and security protection zone around the facility must happen now, adding, quote, Even though there was no direct impact on key nuclear safety and security systems at the plant, the shelling came dangerously close to them. We are talking meters, not kilometers. Whoever is shelling at the Zaporizhia nuclear power plant is taking huge risks and gambling with many people's lives. End quote. The Russian Ministry of Defense, or MOD, accused Ukraine of shelling the plant and said the barrage was fired from Ukrainian-controlled marchanets. Ukrainian state-controlled Energoatom accused Russia of shelling the plant and claimed the attack was done to force reactors 5 and 6, which have been brought to a hot shutdown state, back into a cold shutdown to cut off heat to Ukrainian citizens. The Russian MOD reported that eight shells exploded around Reactor 5, which Energoatom had planned to bring up to a low-power state to provide steam to heat homes in Energodar. 
The IAEA and Energuada officials reported Moscow was interfering with plant operations and prevented the reactor from being brought online. Moscow claimed their forces launched counter-battery fire on Marchenets without evidence and no corresponding reports from city, Khromada, Ryan, or Oblast officials of any shelling during the morning hours. Complicating the situation, the GSAFU reported that Ukrainian forces shelled Russian positions in Enerkhodar, releasing their morning statement several hours after the Russian MOD claims, the report from Enerkhoatam, and the IAEA press release. In September, the IAEA had asked for the withdrawal of Russian troops and a demilitarized zone that, in theory, could extend more than 20 kilometers from the ZNPP. Earlier in the month, they reported that progress was being made and Kyiv had agreed to create a green zone. The tone from the IAEA soured at the end of last week, with the board of directors passing a resolution calling for the immediate withdrawal of all Russian forces from the ZNPP. The power connections to the plant were not damaged, and backup diesel generators did not have to be used. Russian, Ukrainian, and IAEA inspectors report radiation levels as normal. Satellite images showing smoke rising from Poloki were related to an attack on Russian positions. The GSAFU reported that Russian positions in the city, as well as in Kamyanka and Mikhailivka in Zaporizhia, were attacked, likely using rockets fired by HIMARS. The GSAFU reported that up to 100 Russian troops were wounded and 20 pieces of military hardware were damaged. We cannot, however, verify the veracity of reported Russian losses. Northwest of Melitopol, three explosions were reported in Vesele near the train station. The border crossing between Russian-occupied and free Ukraine has reopened at Vasilivka, but poor weather has turned the road into a soup and localized flooding washed out a section of the road on the free side. Last week, 840 people crossed into free Ukraine after filtration, with thousands still waiting to leave. The crossing was closed on September 30th after a Russian S-300 missile strike killed dozens and wounded more than 100 people waiting to bring humanitarian aid into the occupied territories. There was scattered artillery fire from the Zaporizhia-Donetsk administrative border to Huliapola to Orikhiv to Stepova. Now to the Donbass region, starting with southwest Donetsk. Another video released from Pavlivka indicates that Russian troops don't have control of the settlement, which has been blasted into a no-man's land after weeks of fighting. The video is graphic, and some viewers might find it disturbing. We did not make any changes to the map, which may slightly favor Russian positions now, but there just isn't enough evidence to move the line of conflict. The GSAFU reported that the traditional Russian attack on the eastern edge of Novomikhailivka resulted in no change in the line of conflict and a boost to 2023 Lada sales. There were positional battles in the eastern parts of Marinka and Pervomaisky, with no change in the situation. The 1st Army Corps heavily shelled the center of Marinka, but with no reported casualties. At the Russian border crossing in Novoazovsk, that is the pre-2014 Russia, not the illegally annexed Russia where the Russian Federation maintains customs and border security crossings into Russia, that is the Donetsk People's Republic, or DNR, which is Donetsk, which is Ukraine. Traffic was backed up to cross into the DNR from Russia, the other Russia. 
Long lines of commercial trucks were held at the border. That isn't a border. But it, it is a border. It's obviously a border, but it's not a border? Okay, sidebar here. If Donetsk is Russia, why is there all this border security to enter Russia from Russia? I mean, I don't have to go through border security to get to Ohio. I'm just saying. In Mariupol and the surrounding communities, a black market has developed with Russian forces arriving from Kherson trading diesel fuel for wine, hard liquor, and moonshine. Russian troops are selling military hardware, including replacement engines, and looted goods like appliances. Insurgents continue to document the transit of Russian convoys through the city, including dozens of trucks and a company of tanks. In northeast Donetsk, there was a lot of positional fighting along the entire front. Russian forces fired a significant amount of artillery, conducting over 400 fire missions along the Axis. The barrages weren't very accurate due to poor weather and the inability to use drones to find targets and adjust fire. West of Hirskizolota on the Donetsk-Luhansk administrative border, positional battles were fought around Spirna, Bilohorivka, the one in Donetsk, and Yakovlivka. There was no change to the line of conflict. Private military company or PMC Wagner Group continued attempts to flank Solidar with strikes on Bakhmutska. Ukrainian defenders are too dug in within Solidar, and PMC Wagner lost ground in November, being pushed almost to Pokrovsk. Wagner also attempted to flank Bakhmut, attacking Pidhorodna to the northeast without success. The most intense fighting continued east of Bakhmut along the E-40 highway, with Russian proxy forces unable to regain the strongpoints they lost on November 19th. After failed attempts to advance, Russian artillery units fired thermite rounds into the city. Russian losses have been catastrophic, and our analyst team has never seen more pictures and videos of dead Russian troops on a single axis since the start of the war. We link to some of those videos in our full situation report for November 19th. PMC Wagner attempted to advance into Opitne, Klishivka, and Kurdyomivka along the T-513 highway, but was unsuccessful in holding their gains. A video showed that the town of Kurdyomivka had been obliterated along with the railroad station. The video was shared on Russian social media channels and geolocated, and the weather conditions indicated it was recent. It is unclear if Ukrainian or Russian troops or a local resident recorded it. We moved the line of conflict west of Ivanhrad based on reports of fighting in multiple locations in Opitne and consider both settlements no-man's land. Moving on to Luhansk, Russian forces, comprised mostly of Mobiks, attempted to advance on Stelmachivka without success. PMC Wagner, supported by the 2nd Army Corps of the Luhansk People's Republic, or LNR, continued their attempts to advance on Bilohorivka, the one in Luhansk. Hey, fun fact, did you know that the 2023 Lada Granta Lux comes in red, bright blue, Riesling, silver gray, silver dark gray, coriander, white, and panther black, and includes high-tech features like dual front airbags? Did you know that? I did not know that. The GSAFU reported that Ukrainian positions in Ploshanka were shelled for the third day in a row. Based on the repeated reports, we moved the line of conflict about one kilometer east, but maintained the settlement as a no-man's land. Additionally, we moved the entire line of conflict from Svatov to Kremina a little further east and increased the area Ukraine controls in the forests east of the Zherebets River. 
We also moved the line of conflict closer to Dibrova, southwest of Kremina, on the Luhansk-Donetsk administrative border. These map adjustments of 500 to 1,000 meters represent new territorial gains, but are not significant in changing the tactical or strategic situation on the battlefield. Russian mill bloggers reported that rockets fired by HIMARS struck the city of Alchevsk. At the time of recording, there was no additional information. In Russian-occupied Bilovodsk, which was captured in the opening hours of the February 24th invasion, residents who have already undergone repeated filtration are being forcibly removed from their homes. Russian occupiers are looting the equipment from the Chervoni Partizan and Kharkiv mines in Dovzhansk, which is on the Russian border and part of the self-declared Luhansk People's Republic. In Lysychansk, the remaining residents are given firewood after no effort was made to restore public utilities after the July 3rd capture. People who live in high-rise apartments have no fireplaces or stoves to safely burn the wood for heat, creating a humanitarian crisis. Moving on to the Cherniev, Kharkiv, and Sumy region. In Kharkiv, the settlements of Hryanikivka, Senkivka, and Kiselivka were reported as officially liberated. The three towns were liberated about a month ago, and we had already coded Senkivka and Kiselivka as under Ukrainian control. Based on the reports and supporting videos, we moved the line of conflict to Chavilzhanka and coded Dovorichne as contested. We also coded Liman Pershi as liberated. A Russian video showed there was fighting north of Yahidne, indicating Ukrainian forces are further east than previously reported. We adjusted the line of conflict based on this social intelligence, and we consider the town contested. Russian S-300 anti-aircraft missiles used for a ground attack hit a two-story apartment building in Shevchenkov. One person was killed and two were injured. At the time of recording, rescuers were still searching the rubble. Dmitry Zhivitsky, Sumy Oblast administrative and military governor, reported that Romadas of Esmen, Bilopilia, and Shalekhin were shelled by Russian artillery fired from across the international border. More than 50 shells were fired, with the cultural center, a bakery, and power and gas lines damaged in the Bilopilia Romada. The shelling did not cause any injuries. In the Black Sea, Crimea, Mykolaiv, and Odessa region, a Russian disinformation campaign created concern in Odessa that water would be shut off in the city. Officials pleaded for people to be rational and dismissed the claims as disinformation. Also in Odessa, a statue of Lenin that had been removed earlier was replaced with a statue of Darth Vader. The clever artist recreated the Lenin statue with the Sith Lord in an identical pose. Quick sidebar here. In an ironic twist, Seattle, Washington, in the United States, home of the Science Fiction Museum, does not have a statue of Darth Vader, but does have a statue of Vladimir Ilyich Lenin. There was no information on if the Black Sea Fleet had deployed vessels capable of launching caliber cruise missiles. The Russian Navy has experienced a severe allergic reaction when exposed to Neptune missiles, Bayraktar TB2 drones, and unmanned surface vessels so the poor weather conditions likely served as a convenient excuse to stay in port. In western and central Ukraine, the shelling of Nikopol in the Dnipropetrovsk oblast continued, with up to 60 grad rockets fired by MLRS striking the city as well as Medivska and Markhanets in an overnight attack. The strikes targeted apartment buildings, private homes, and farm buildings. A vocational school was also struck in the overnight attacks, which injured one person. 
Moving on to the Russian front, Russian mill bloggers reported that Ukraine shelled the towns of Shevikino, Karabanova, Razumnove, and Nizhny Olshanets in the Bilgorod Federal District. You're listening to the Malcontent News Russia-Ukraine War Podcast. Our team of journalists, researchers, and analysts is funded by readers, listeners, and viewers just like you. To support independent journalism, please consider becoming a patron. You can find us on patreon.com at malcontentnews. Let's talk about developments theater-wide and outside Ukraine. The national power company Ukrenirho reported that there weren't any emergency blackouts over the weekend, and as of this time, unplanned outages will not be needed today. Moderate temperatures and lower electrical consumption over the weekend helped significantly, and in areas requiring it, rolling blackouts were only conducted once or twice over a 24-hour period, instead of the publicized four times. Rolling blackouts will continue today, with officials cautioning that additional attacks on energy infrastructure could force the return of emergency blackouts. An armed Ukrainian soldier tempted fate and went a couple of meters across the border into Belarus at a closed rail crossing. The entire incident was caught on camera. NATO Secretary General Jens Stoltenberg said the alliance needs to reinvigorate its military production capacity and prepare to support Ukraine for, quote, the long haul. Stoltenberg warned that many NATO nations have consumed their ammunition and weapons reserves and need to ramp up production for the alliance's security, saying, quote, We have to remember that the price we pay is measured in money, and the price Ukraine is paying is measured in lives, in blood, every day, and it's our obligation to support them. End quote. Investigators have concluded their study in Przewodów, Poland, while investigating the missile strike that killed two continues. Polish Prime Minister Mateusz Morawiecki told reporters in Helsinki, Finland, that, quote, the data collected by the investigation into the explosion of a rocket in the Polish village of Przewodów do not yet allow to establish with certainty where it was fired from, end quote. He said the investigation has, quote, evidence from the cameras of the border guards, but they do not show with 100% certainty where the rocket was fired from. We need to continue collecting evidence, and the investigation will take some time, end quote. Polish officials considered the November 16th missile strike an accident, regardless of which belligerent fired the missile, and ultimately blamed the Russian Federation due to their ongoing war of aggression against Ukraine. Morawiecki assured that Poland wants to maintain full transparency in the investigation, saying, quote, We especially want our Ukrainian friends and partners to be sure that the results of the investigation will be proven. That's why we invited them to investigate, end quote. Germany offered to provide Poland with the United States-designed Patriot missile system. In addition, Germany offered to enhance combat air patrols over Poland using Eurofighters. The Patriot missile system would be capable of downing various missiles, including short-range ballistic missiles, while fighter aircraft could track and destroy cruise missiles. Germany once had 36 Patriot missile systems, but after German integration and the eastward expansion of NATO, the nation didn't find itself on the potential front line of a post-Soviet invasion. Currently, Germany has 12 systems, with two deployed in Slovakia. Belarus is reportedly negotiating to license munition production for 122mm and 152mm artillery shells and 300mm smirch rockets with Iran. A delegation from Belarus is visiting Tehran amid widespread civil unrest, 
to work out the details on how to create joint weapons production in the landlocked Baltic nation. Russian mill bloggers and social media channels were abuzz with the arrival of retired United States Marine Corps Colonel Andrew Milburn, who formed his own private military company called Mozart and deployed in Bakhmut. Strangely enough, after four months of continuous defeat around Bakhmut and Solidar, Russian mill bloggers universally mocked the arrival of the new PMC. According to Colonel Milburn, Mozart Group provides training, civilian evacuation, and humanitarian aid, and unlike other PMCs, members are forbidden from participating in combat. The Turan Battalion, comprised of volunteers from Azerbaijan, Turkey, and Kyrgyzstan supporting the Ukrainian military, has been integrated into the Ukrainian army. Battalion Commander Almaz Kudabek called Colonel General and aspiring dentist Don Don Ramzan Kadyrov a devil for declaring jihad on Ukraine and vowed to destroy their forces. Ukraine received two Krotal anti-aircraft systems from France. The missiles are fired from a mobile launcher, have a range of 11 to 16 kilometers, and can travel up to Mach 3.6. The system was originally developed for South Africa by the Thales Group and Samsung, and has been deployed by 11 nations. Iran copied the system by copying a Chinese version of the Krotal, which is itself a copy. Speaking of making copies, let's talk about Russian mobilization. The Kremlin is continuing stealth mobilization across Russia, and there are growing rumors that either full mobilization or another partial mobilization will start in January. Russia's military training system has been stretched to the breaking point, supporting the first round of Mobix and 120,000 fall recruits that started entering the system in November. Russian men continue to receive conscription notices with call-up dates in January, which is not going to make for a holly-jolly New Year's. There remains some skepticism that Russia will do a general mobilization in January due to the lack of logistics, instructors, facilities, and, if we're being honest, basic military equipment, like rifles and winter gear. In our assessment, a wide-scale mobilization effort risks collapsing Russian military logistics and clogging up forward-deployed units with untrained, potentially unarmed, and low-morale mobics of decreasing mental and physical health. Russian publication Mediazona reported that the prison population in the Russian Federation has plummeted by 23,000 convicts in the last 60 days, indicating that PMC Wagner Group has accelerated its recruitment. It is the largest two-month drop in the Russian prison population going back to 2014. The number of prisoners in pretrial detention did not fall during the same period, indicating the releases are related to recruitment. The relatives of recruits are told the location of their family member is, quote, classified information, which, given the Kremlin's complete disregard for operational security, is pretty laughable. We don't want anyone knowing where Vlad the Impaler pulling a dime for murder is because it's classified, but hold on a minute while I tweet our coordinates just for funsies. We had previously estimated that Wagner is losing a brigade a month based on statements made by Evgeny Prigozhin, which does not include their sledgehammer retirement plan. Ukrainian officials reported that over 600 convicts are recruited into the Russian military weekly. The convicts are sent to the Rostov Federal District for training before deployment. Penal units are used as ill-trained frontline troops— and are increasingly held in place by blocking forces that shoot anyone retreating or attempting to desert. 
Government officials in Zambia are demanding to know how college student Lemakani Nyerenda, who was a student at the Moscow Engineering Physics Institute and was serving nine years in a penal colony on drug charges, ended up being killed in action in Ukraine. Nyerenda died in September, but his family wasn't notified until last week. An unknown person in Russia called his father to say his son had died, left a will, and they should travel to pick up his body. Zambian officials arranged to have his body moved to Rostov-on-Don in Russia. PMC Wagner is moving forward with its territorial guard plan in the Bilgorod Federal District of Russia. We had previously reported that the private military company was setting up training centers to deploy part-time mercenaries on one-week rotating deployments to the front line once a month. Managers of the Askol Electrometallurgical Plant have agreed to have all male employees of conscription age participate in a 30-day training camp. After training is completed, 25% of the graduates who didn't receive a sledgehammer discharge will be rotated to Ukraine for one week. Quick sidebar here. What happens once you get to week three or four, and Vlad, Ivan, and Nikolai didn't come back from their week of winter camp, and Valentin is walking around with a permanent limp? Training of Mobix in Belarus has ended as quickly as it started. If you're thinking... Didn't I just read two weeks ago that Mobix were starting to be trained in Belarus? You would be correct. The Mobix will be part of the 2nd Motor Rifle Division of the 1st Tank Army, which was once one of the most elite military units in the Russian Federation. What was once the main line of defense against a NATO invasion moving toward Moscow has been reduced to Mobix with two weeks of training, World War II helmets, 1960s flak jackets, and rusted AK-74 rifles. Also, a lot of those conscripts were sick during their so-called training, with pneumonia and tularemia patients overwhelming Belarus's hospitals. In Tomsk, Russia, Mobix complained after learning they would not be part of the Territorial Guard and instead would be deployed to the front lines of Ukraine. The conscripts repeated complaints of deception and a lack of training, saying, quote, Officers lied to our face that we were the defense. It turned out that we were a rifle unit. We are stormtroopers, not there for defense. We didn't see equipment, and for two weeks they did not put machine guns in our hands. End quote. In Voronezh, Russian Mobix showed the conditions they were kept in, sleeping outside in the snow with inadequate cold-weather gear and no tents. The conscripts gathered around fires they made to stay warm, Though once they're deployed, lighting fires in the field will be almost certain death, acting as beacons for artillery and drone strikes. The Russian Ministry of Defense released a decree officially demobilizing university students and teachers in the LNR and DNR. The self-declared leader of the DNR, Pushilin, has not ratified the decree for his republic. Family members expressed relief but openly worried that the decrees would be ignored due to the critical staffing situation. The Kremlin issued the order to align with the 85 other Russian federal districts, which provided students with a one-year deferment from conscription after complaints and protests in September and October. Prison camps holding Russian deserters are expanding in occupied Luhansk and Donetsk. Up to 300 Russian Mobiks are being held in the basement of the House of Culture in Zaitseve, outside of Bakhmut, after refusing to return to the front lines. It is one of seven claimed detention facilities that are holding refuseniks. Hanna Malyar, Ukraine's deputy minister of defense, stated that Russian soldiers were panicking when coming under fire for the first time, 
and were turning to alcohol, drugs, and self-mutilation to get out of frontline service. Fighting has erupted between Mobiks and among regular Russian forces, Chechens, and PMC Wagner, sometimes devolving into armed conflict and the exchange of light weapons, like grenades. Family members in Boguchar were protesting outside a military base, demanding to know the status of their relatives that have been deployed and condemning their treatment. Protesters said they were missing promised payments, and those who had spoken to their loved ones claimed they had been deployed without commanders, water, winter gear, or needed weapons. One protester, Irina Sakalova, reported that her husband was conscripted on September 22nd and was in Ukraine with the 252nd Motor Rifle Regiment on September 26th. The 252nd has been on the tip of the spear since its formation and was deployed to some of the hottest areas in Kherson. Sokolova told the Washington Post, quote, Of course, he had no idea how terrible it would be there. We watch our federal TV channels and they say that everything is perfect. End quote. Despite the abuses and being used as cannon fodder, family members don't blame Russian President Vladimir Putin and say that the failures stem from lower ranking officials in the military who are corrupt. In Bilgorod, two Russian Mobiks who refused to deploy to Ukraine were called forward from their formation. They both declined to deploy verbally and then in writing. After handing over their papers to their commander, they were immediately arrested, cuffed, and placed into a van. The pair is facing two to three years in prison for insubordination. It is a really fascinating video, if for no other reason than how obvious it is that the arresting officers were vastly better equipped and in better shape than the Mobics in formation. Also, they had matching uniforms. The Mobics did not. On Russian state media, accused war criminal Zakhar Prilipin told propagandist Olga Skabeva that Russia has no interest in honest negotiations and only wants a pause in the ongoing war to stabilize the situation and finish destroying Ukraine later when the military has been rebuilt. Prilipin, who fought in Ukraine and bragged about committing war crimes, said that Moscow is not ready for renewed offensives even with mobilization and was ill-prepared when it started its special military operation. So, that's called saying the quiet part out loud, and it is unclear if the Kremlin-aligned faux critics used to create the illusion of a dissenting viewpoint will run afoul of the new law after November 30th. Editor's note, probably not, as they serve a valuable purpose and Stalin would be proud. The Moscow Times reported that Vladimir Putin had pulled the plug on the state armaments program, which started a decade ago. The plan was meant to modernize the Russian military by 2020 with 2,500 Armada T-14 tanks, a new white-sheet-designed strategic bomber to replace the turboprop Tu-95, which can trace its roots back to the American World War II B-29, 600 aircraft including the Su-57, thousands of helicopters, and naval modernization. 22 trillion rubles later, Moscow has less than 25 T-14 tanks, which have problems with gun stabilization and have repeatedly broken down at state events, like the Victory Day Parade in Moscow. Awkward. The Su-57 has become outdated and has inferior stealth qualities to its Chinese and American counterparts, and only four production models exist. The other 12 hand-built prototypes are reported to be of very low quality. The Su-57 has been used to fire standoff weapons in Syria and Ukraine, 
but has not engaged in any combat sorties where it could face anti-aircraft systems or other fighter aircraft. A replacement for the Tu-95 fleet never reached the prototype stage, and Russia entered its special military operation with 132 Ka-52 Alligator attack helicopters, which have not performed well. President Putin instructed that the supply standards for the army should be rewritten and brought quote, in line with the real needs of the armed forces. The Russian Federation sold, in a manner of speaking, a record 13.6 billion dollars in debt bonds in a single day. The Kremlin has boosted the 2023 military budget to 5 trillion rubles. That's roughly 84 billion U.S. dollars, a 40 percent increase from last year. While that may appear to be effective in purchasing more weapons, Russia has offered exorbitant pay and pay bonuses to Mobics that are, in some cases, equivalent to an E-5 in the United States military with three to five years in grade. The amount is approximately 8.4 percent of NATO's entire military budget, and does not include NATO-aligned nations such as Japan, South Korea, and Australia. For further context. Russia's missile attack on Ukraine on November 15th cost the Kremlin an estimated one billion dollars. Human rights activist Vladimir Osechkin claimed that the Russian Ministry of Defense had started extrajudicial executions of military commanders who were losing control of Mobiks or supporting those who refused to fight. Osechkin claims that the commander of the Seventh Motorized Rifle Company of Military Unit 08807 was removed from the hospital to be executed for quote. Losing control of the unit entrusted to him. End quote. It has been visually confirmed that the Russian Federation has lost over 8,000 pieces of military hardware since the so-called special military operation was started on February 24th. Losses include 1,500 main battle tanks, with an original T-62 tank built in 1967 on the low end, and five T-90Ms, the most advanced tank in theater, on the high end. Actual losses are likely over 10,000, as not every destroyed, damaged, abandoned, and captured piece of equipment is documented with pictures or videos. Russia has also lost 1,788 armored and infantry fighting vehicles. Using a simplistic metric, at least 31,000 Russian soldiers have been killed in action since February 24th, and another 77,000 wounded. This would represent an absolute low-end estimate. Ukraine has lost 2,287 pieces of hardware during the same period, and using the same metric, has lost at least 8,800 killed in action, and another 26,500 wounded. It is important to note, however, the equipment loss numbers do not include aircraft. Russia and Iran have reportedly cut a deal to produce Iranian combat drones in Russia. We had previously assessed that the Kremlin was overusing its first order of the Shahed 136 drones they purchased in September, and the deployment rate was unsustainable. In November, the Iranian drones played a far less significant role in the mass attacks on civilians and civilian infrastructure. Production isn't expected to start for months. And it's unclear how Russia will bypass sanctions to produce the drones within its borders. No worries, though, because all is definitely going to plan. Yep, absolutely. <laughs> 
In our War Crimes and Human Rights segment, we discuss events that might be upsetting to hear about. There is no graphic detail in today's report, but if you are sensitive to descriptions of human rights abuses, please feel free to skip ahead to the next segment. Timestamps are in the description. Ukraine's Deputy Prime Minister Olha Stefanishina said that authorities would investigate a video that potentially shows Ukrainian soldiers executing Russian prisoners of war as they surrender. We provided our analysis of the video yesterday and concluded that it was highly likely by the available evidence that Russian troops engaged in perfidy. Perfidy is when a belligerent uses deceit, such as wearing the uniform of their enemy or pretending to surrender, as a means to attack. The video clearly showed a gunman emerging from the building and firing at Ukrainian troops in the direction of the person recording the video. The camera falls to the ground pointing to the sky and then cuts to the aftermath. Russia has accused Ukraine of committing an atrocity and executing the Russian troops after they surrendered. Ukrainian hospitals were told they needed to be prepared for unannounced and total blackouts. Ukrainian officials reported that all operating hospitals now have backup generators, but the rollover could sometimes take, quote, several seconds. Berlin has vowed to accept more Ukrainian refugees and is preparing to add 10,000 more beds as the nation reaches capacity. Some refugees are being kept at Tegel Airport, which closed two years ago. Some people are housed in large tents that hold 400 people who sleep on bunk beds. Berlin is currently home to 85,000 Ukrainian refugees, with a majority in their own housing or placed with families. In geopolitical news, Olha Stefanishina, who is more specifically Ukraine's Deputy Prime Minister of European and Euro-Atlantic Integration, told reporters at the Halifax International Security Forum that Ukraine has started procuring Starlink alternatives. She said Kyiv was worried about Musk's takeover of Twitter and how the platform had become a major source of media manipulation. On top of that, Ukraine has been in two spats with Starlink and Musk, where terminals were turned off for non-payment. After the billionaire claimed that he could no longer afford to cover the cost of Starlink terminals, multiple NGOs, government officials, and individuals reported they had purchased most of the Starlink terminals and were paying for the service themselves. Musk capitulated after the Pentagon announced it was willing to negotiate with him. European Parliament is planning to request Elon Musk to testify, expressing concern about his plans for the platform and to make sure he understands European technology and privacy laws. The Digital Services Act will go into effect in Europe in the summer of 2023 and cracks down on platforms that are party to the spread of disinformation. European Parliament President Roberta Metzola does not have the power to compel Musk to testify. There are reports that Twitter may lose its European Union General Data Protection Regulation, or GDPR, one-stop-shop privileges because it no longer meets GDPR requirements. New Zealand's Defence Minister Penne Henare travelled to Kyiv and visited the Wall of Remembrance. Henare was the first minister from the Southern Hemisphere island nation to travel to Ukraine and said the visit sent a, quote, strong message that New Zealand stands with the people of Ukraine and that our support for the Ukrainian defense effort against Russia's illegal invasion is unwavering, end quote. New Zealand has pledged continued support and promised to help with rebuilding. Russian social media influencer Yulia Prokhorova made herself famous for creating videos harassing and mocking Ukrainian refugees in Germany 
and dancing and celebrating to videos showing Ukrainian soldiers and civilians being killed. German officials had been trying to deport the woman since April 2021, but under German law, Prokhorova, a Russian Federation national, couldn't be deported just for making hateful videos. Then, investigative reporters discovered that Prokhorova was a sex worker and exposed her third line of work. Now, sex work is legal in Germany, with regulations managed locally, and the industry is highly regulated. And that's where Prokhorova ran afoul of the law. German police raided her apartment in Lansut on November 14th, seizing three smartphones and a laptop. The investigation found that Prokhorova had not paid her income taxes for her third job, but more critically, revealed that she was in Germany illegally. She was working as a cashier at a store along with her social media presence. After enjoying the freedoms of Germany, Prokhorova set off to enjoy Russian Mir and was video recorded being deported on November 20th. In economic news, the first warning light that Russia has entered a recession turned red on the economic dashboard. And it is a surprising metric. According to Czech Index, the average bill in restaurants and bars in the Russian Federation dropped 26% compared to a year ago. And that's despite an inflation rate of 21%. One of the first areas that people of all classes cut back during the start of a recession is hospitality spending. The amount of money leaving Russia has also reached a record high, despite Moscow's attempts to stem the flow. From January to September, a record $63.1 billion has been deposited in banks outside of Russia, more than double the same period last year. The movement of assets increased in June after the Russian government lifted some restrictions and has increased each month since, reaching $6.7 billion in September alone when partial mobilization was announced. The ruble is trading down today with an exchange rate of 61 for one U.S. dollar. Oil prices will open lower, with all signs pointing to increased economic pressure on the Russian Federation. WTI crude is expected to start trading at $80 a barrel, down 10% from a week ago, and Brent at $87. United States wholesale RBOB gasoline on the spot market is also down, trading at $2.40 a gallon for November contracts. That's $0.63 a liter. Dutch TTF gas futures for December 2022 were up about 1.5%, trading at 117 euros per megawatt hour. January 2023 contracts were flat at 124 euros. Chicago SRW wheat futures are in the red and were expected to open around $8.21 a bushel for March 2022 contracts. And that's what we know. Join me again tomorrow for more updates. Until then, stay safe, everyone. You've been listening to the Malcontent News Russia-Ukraine War Podcast. To help keep us independent, please consider providing financial support by becoming a patron. Want on-demand news in your hand? Download the Google News app and make Malcontent News one of your favorites to receive breaking news updates. Thank you for listening.